by a licensed physician, correct? Yes, sir. And you felt this vaccine was safe, correct? Absolutely. The development of a COVID-19 vaccine is nothing short of revolutionary, and I hope everyone appreciates the importance, the significance, the history of this moment. Well, I, I just, okay, the history of this moment. Actually, it is. it has been, the more I learn about Operation Warp Speed, the more impressed I am. Uh, with with the various people involved, including the United States military, which has been incredibly mm-hmm. helpful. Um, but the question has been asked repeatedly on this show and others, uh, and and answered poorly or not at all. Why were the Brits first in? Why were they handing it out a week before we we did? And the Canadians. A- and the Canadians. That's right. America's hat. Bunch of moose riding yuck yucks in Canada. Well, and we got a new. I kid, I love Canada. I love Canadians. And we got a new uh, vaccine that got approved, but it won't get a full approval till Friday for some reason. What day's today? Tuesday. Yeah, seems ludicrous. Anyway, a couple of a couple of things to know about that question. First of all, regulators in the U.S. and U.K. do things differently. The FDA—that's our guys—ask drug makers for raw data. And then they do the analysis themselves. Show your work. Don't just give me the answer. We want everything. And then our guys, our gals, our, our scientists go through it all, uh, decide if it's sound, if they interpreted the data correctly, and come up with their own conclusion. The uh, the UK, on the other hand, relies more heavily on reports produced by the drug makers. And, um, you know, I, I'm sure a healthcare expert could explain why they're okay with that, probably because they have nationalized healthcare and you can't sue anybody. Um, or at least I don't think you can, but that makes them quicker. That doesn't surprise me. Dr. Fauci in uh, clip uh, 44, uh, I'm sorry, not 44, uh, 43 uh, explains further. You know, I, in all fairness to so many of my UK friends, you know, they kind of ran around the corner of the uh, of the marathon <laughs> and joined it <laughs> in the last mile. <laughs> I think that would be a good metaphor for it. They really rushed through that approval. The, the, the FDA, the United States of America Food and Drug Administration, is the gold standard of regulation. They're doing it in a very careful way, appropriately. You know, I love the Brits. They're great. They're good scientists. But they just took the data from the Pfizer company, and instead of scrutinizing it really, really carefully, they said, okay, let's approve it, that's it, and they went with it. In fact, they were even rather severely criticized by their European Union counterparts who were saying, you know, that was kind of a hot dog play. Yeah, the... uh, (laughs) A hot dog play. That's some old school sports talk there. Um, Yeah, the EU's significantly behind the Brits for that very reason. Uh, as long as we're listening to the good doctor, uh, he's he's taking a shot at answering the question I think all of us have. How long can I go to a ball game till I can go to a ball game, hang out with all my friends without being afraid of catching the Chinese bat fever? When can the kids can be back in school and playing sports and the rest of it? Uh, dr. Fauci has a shot in forty four at the end of the day, the real bottom line is, when do you get the majority, the overwhelming majority of the population vaccinated so you can get that umbrella of herd immunity? I believe if we're efficient about it and we convince people to get vaccinated, we can accomplish that 
by the end of the second quarter of 2021, namely by the end of the uh, late spring, early summer. Late spring, early summer. Okay. So summer could be normal. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's, uh, there are others saying very different things. That's what I'm pitching to my kids, hoping summer will be at least somewhat normal. We'll actually go on a vacation. They'll have the county fair. Amusement parks will be open. Boy, I hope the you're right. The swimming pool will be open. I hope you're right. Mostly for the kids' sake. All the just... camps that they missed last year that were signed up for and didn't get to go to will be open. Soccer camp, skateboard camp, whatever. We, the adults, are used to being bored, unmotivated. Or we gave up on life a long time ago. Etc. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, we gave up on joy a long time. Exactly. Ago. Just give me an anesthetic. We, we get up every morning and we think, how soon do I get to go back to bed? Shuffle off to the salt mine, shuffle home, then uh, pour a little anesthetic in a glass. Clean the kitchen and go to bed. The kids, on the other hand, have these beautiful, you know, vulnerable spirit. Oh, my God. I, I, I hesitate to even go into this. The latest suicide numbers are out? Child and, and adolescent suicides have doubled. In a lot of places. It's awful. We're going to follow the science. Keep the schools closed. Yeah, nice. So, anyway, let's uh, let's get this going. I was thinking about the numbers on who's going to take the vaccine and who's not. Um, and, and I have posited that a lot of folks will see everybody around them take it and be perfectly fine and think, yeah, it was kind of weirded out, but yeah, I guess I'll do it. Um, especially if they see other people going to ball games and, and county fairs and the rest of it. It also occurred to me, um, times it. Yeah, we have time for this. This is the perfect time. Let us hear, Sean, I, I want another clip. Uh, there it is. Uh, 41, please. The promise was held out that we'll have a vaccine by the end of this year. Is that possible in your view? You know, it's another day of uh, POTUS in Wonderland here. Uh, it is preposterous to make that statement. Would you trust that vaccine? I think that we have learned since this pandemic started, but really before that, that there's very little that we can trust that comes out of Donald Trump's mouth. And then you got that mobbed up half-wit Cuomo, the governor of New York, saying, I don't know, I can't trust this. I can't trust any vaccine from Trump. It occurred to me that the, what are the latest numbers? Like 34% of people say they won't take it? That could easily, 10% of that could be, the hardcore anti-Trumpers who are, uh, as you pointed out, Jack, I think this was a great insight. People answer the polls um, uh, performatively. Let's see. I hate Trump, so I think I'm supposed to say, no, I'm not taking Trump's damn vaccine. So that could be 10% of those people. So I think those numbers are going to move like crazy by, I don't know, late January, February. Well, if 60% of people say they'll take it, and we need to get to 70% for herd immunity, we don't we, have... We can certainly hold down the other 10% in jail. <laughs> we just No, no, sorry. We just need to restrain 10% of the population and jab them against their will. That's the one out of 10 people. That's not very many people. You don't have to restrain them if you sneak up behind them. Oh, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Hey, what's that over there? Ah, right in the neck. Ow! Why in the neck? Why would you do that? Gets in the bloodstream faster or something. I don't. Show me the science on that. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of data, I'd like to scrutinize. We got this text from somebody. Uh, I got the Sutter vaccine update. This must be somebody in uh, California. Most interesting thing is they said you need to take one day off work after the first dose and plan on one to two days after the second dose. They're expecting to get sick after. But so 
one day they're recommending after the first dose, one to two days after the second dose. So plan ahead. I've heard that there is a small but significant percentage of people who will have to do that. So they're kind of planning ahead. Um, so don't like get the thing and then be completely floored and unprepared that maybe you have to take the next. So day it's off. like the people who get the flu shot and some people get sick, some people don't. It's an excess of caution based on what I know. But if you've taken the shot, and we have quite a number of healthcare workers who have, and you took the shot yesterday, how are you doing today? Keep can, us up to date. Can you gonna... still see? Oh, for God's sake! Can say. you feel your feet? Did they jab you in the neck? Uh, you can text four one five two nine five KFTC, or if you prefer. <laughs> Uh, email us mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. I don't well if if I would like to know how many people are going to get sick after they get it. If it's not very many people, well then quit hitting us with this news. That's not helping the numbers any. Right. If it's it's good a, clickbait. If it's a if it's a you know a rarity, let's not act like everybody's going to get sick and drive down the numbers of people that are going to get vaccinated. Yeah, I, I'm going to quibble and say not get sick, but just feel kind of crappy. I feel crappy today. Well, right there you go. Uh, we did uh, get an email from a gent who was in one of the trials. You know why? I had bacon and cocoa pebbles for dinner. Jeez, that was awesome. It was awesome. You, so the bacon was on the cereal or a separate? <laughs> they were separate, but it okay. was a great meal. Nice. You were a child. That That is, uh, that's. are you part of some sort of trial? Some sort of medical <laughs> trial? Let's see what happens to the colons of people if we, let's see, feed them. <laughs> Nothing but bacon and cocoa pebbles. <laughs> Anyway, it might have been cocoa puffs. I don't know. Uh, we got uh, a child. No, there are cocoa pebbles. We <laughs> we received an email from a bloke who's in one of the trials. I think it was the Pfizer trial, although don't hold me to that. Who said after the second shot, he felt really bad for uh, twenty four hours and pretty crappy for another twenty four hours. So, but it's not clear to me if that's uh, you know two percent of people, ten percent, or thirty percent. Honest to God, how many days a month do you feel pretty crappy? Two to five. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I probably ought to take care of myself a little better. <laughs> well, but, we, we but all you're not that. asking what we should <laughs> feel like. You're asking what I do feel like. I'm trying to answer honestly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, did anybody I, get I that? woke up this morning at 2.40. I couldn't go back to sleep. That's I was out worst. of bed at four. That's the worst. I was super ready for the show, though, by golly. Mm. Yeah, I figured I just couldn't turn my brain off. Uh. Um, anybody gotten the vaccine? How'd it go? Our text line, 415-295-KFTC. We've got plenty of other things to talk about. There's a new rabbit disease that's spreading around the world. I hope it doesn't jump to humans. That'd be... What? 2020. Stop it. To me, that would be the worst thing that could happen, is if we get wind of any kind of disease that's spreading among humans, I think everybody would just lie down and say, run over me with a train or something. Yeah, I'd just we'd give up. Now some sort of Chinese rabbit indigestion or Chinese... They're calling it the Chinese rabbit diarrhea. Oh, great. Are they calling it that? I, well, I don't know. I don't know. Name. Why have you brought us this horror? But <laughs> other stuff on the way. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo announced on Friday that he would halt indoor dining at bars and restaurants across the state to stop the spread of the coronavirus. Of course, that only applies to indoor indoor dining, not outdoor indoor dining. I assume that was accompanied by a, a picture of 
Diners inside of a tent that was virtually indoors? Or? Well, it's it's places where it snows, they're just building buildings sure. in front of their restaurant and hosting people in there. With they, flimsier walls. They, yeah. they practically are in places where it doesn't snow also, because in, in my town, some of the outdoor dining was pretty indoorish. Yeah. You know, you got clear plastic up, but... Um, you yeah. know, that's a perfect example of how government works and how bureaucrats work and why a planned economy can't conceivably work ever. Because it's not about being indoors. It's it's about having ventilation that is like that of being outdoors. So if you were in the freaking White House bunker, I mean, you couldn't be more indoors. But they had a jet engine drawing air through that bunker. You'd be outdoors. I mean, in terms of epidemiology. So we get hung up on, on words and forget, you know, purposes. And the in the innovation of the American small business owner is being forced to navigate how do I rules lawyer these guidelines as opposed to how do I keep my customers and employees safe? Well said. Exactly. Rent-seeking. You spend your time and energy kowtowing to the government as opposed to pursuing your purpose. It's a fancy economics term. Um, I don't like... uh, I'm not a big fan of uh, partisan comments just for the sake of partisanship. I know a lot of you are. I'm not. For whatever reason, it's a hobby. It's a hobby for a lot of people, and they get a kick out of it. You make a, you poke at the other side constantly. Uh, the one of the latest is uh, poking at uh, Joe Biden's wife, Jill Biden, for being a PhD, her being Doctor Jill Biden, and always referred to as Doctor Jill Biden. Anyway, somebody just tweeted that uh, reading Jill Biden's education PhD position paper, which she wrote at the age of fifty-five, and it's bad. Oh, okay. Mm, well, in your opinion, it's bad. Maybe it is bad. I don't know if it's bad. You know, but. I don't glorify first ladies, nor do I denigrate them. I just don't give a damn. No, neither way. Yeah. Just don't don't talk to me about it at all, unless she has a policy. We were talking about, uh, well, yeah, there are times when first ladies uh, get uh, very uh, governmenty. Hillary, notably. Uh, Michelle Obama, who a lot of people took shots at, and I thought it was way out of bounds, but... Then she did get rather aggressive, uh, rhetorically speaking, um, on the campaign trail last time around. And, but that makes her fair game. But anyway, uh, we were talking about advanced degrees, whether to call people doctors or what have you. Uh, my old buddy Mike the Lawyer texted that we're all jurist doctors. We attorneys, but uh, we guffaw at the idea of being called doctor. And I read yesterday, I, I wish I could remember where it was. There was some judge somewhere in America who for like a week insisted that all the attorneys in his courtroom refer to each other as doctor. Now, Dr. Jones, you may be claiming that the defendant uh, you know, gave up the evidence freely, blah, blah, blah. And the state judicial board made him stop. Got this note from Jenny. Where I grew up, a PhD was a post hole digger. My dad gave me a PhD for Christmas one year. Well, let me read from the actual Wall Street Journal piece that started this whole thing. Um, uh, in contemporary universities in the social sciences and humanities, calling oneself doctor is thought bush league. That's the, uh, the, the, the person that wrote this for the Wall Street Journal over the weekend. The PhD may once have held prestige, but that has been diminished by the erosion of seriousness and the relaxation of standards in university education generally. Imagine that. At any rate, outside of the sciences. Getting a doctorate was then an arduous proceeding. One had to pass examinations in two foreign languages, one of them Greek or Latin, defend one's thesis and take an oral examination on general knowledge in one's field. 
at Columbia University of an earlier day. A secretary sat outside the room where the examinations were administered, a pitcher of water and a glass on her desk. The water and glass were there for the candidates who fainted. A far cry this from the few doctoral examinations I sat in on during my teaching days, where candidates and teachers addressed one another by first names and the general atmosphere resembled uh, a coffee clatch. Dr. Jill, I note you acquired her ED as recently as 15 years ago or long after the terror had departed. The prestige of honorary doctorates has declined even further. Such degrees were once given exclusively to scholars, statesmen, artists, and scientists. Then rich men entered the lists, usually in the hope that they would donate money to the schools that had granted them their honorary degree. Uh, my late friend Saul Linowitz, the chairman of Xerox, told me he had 63 honorary doctorates. Oh, boy. <laughs> Why do I not have one? That's hilarious. I'll tell you what. Call, if I get to call myself Dr. Joe, I'll give you $5,000. Is there a school out there, no matter how big or small? Famous television journalists who passed themselves off as intelligence followed. Entertainers who didn't bother feigning intelligence were next. Get to talk show host. In terms of getting honorary <laughs> doctorates. I yeah, get okay. a hold of my old uh, little college. So, yeah, how much would I have to give you? Two thousand bucks? Come on. To be Dr. Jack? Come on. The basketball <laughs> team need like some new water bottles or something. Let me just send me the bill. Yeah, that's funny. I had not realized that the great inflation and the whole uh pleasing the customer attitude in higher education had gotten as high as PhDs. No idea. I didn't know that either. Yeah. It did seem like there were a lot more of them around though. Yes. Than when I was younger. Right, right. So, incredible, mind-boggling, woke nonsense update. Stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas everywhere you go. Mr. Crosby. Take a look so, yeah. the five and ten. so we're doing a lot of Christmas music at our house, especially decorating the tree the other night and everything like that, and uh, like, you know, on various greatest hits lists. A lot of Bing Crosby, a lot of Andy Williams. My favorite Christmas album, now, though, of recent years is uh, Buble. A Buble Christmas album is good. He can croon, man. I really like him. And he seems like a good guy, so I think that helps me like him, too. But. Yeah. Harry Connick's got really good Christmas yeah. albums. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's one of our faves around the house. It's one of the few n- new-ish, I mean, just like 20 years ago. Uh, Christmas albums that I really dig. And uh, I, I realized, and maybe it's a little bit obvious, that so much of your favorite Christmas music just has to do with the music you heard mm. when Christmas was magical as a child that and makes the rest sense. of it. That's why I like the Ma- Mariah Carey tune. It's fine. It's a nice tune. She sings it well, but it doesn't really mean anything to me. I hear uh, Andy Williams, though, or one of the records my mom and dad would play, and and I think of Christmas. I'm not going to touch my face with dirty hands. I'm not going to touch my face with dirty hands. What? I'm not going to touch my face with dirty hands. What happened to your hands? Part of a new hypnosis idea. It's on the front page of the Wall Street Journal today to keep people from touching their face during the pandemic. More on that coming up. I hadn't heard anything about face touching since March. I hadn't either, and now it's on the front page of the WSJ. Go figure. Hey, one more musical note, if I might. Uh, highly recommend, if you are a music freak, uh, I mean, you're really into music, not, yeah, I like to hear Bachman Turner Overdrive or the Eagles in the background. No, I mean, if you're really into music, David Byrne of Talking Heads has a book called How Music Works that is so interesting. Hmm. And one of the things, uh, he goes through various technological changes and societal changes and how it affected the music that was made and listened to. And one of the points he made is that the crooners of the uh, 30s, 40s, um, 
they only arose because microphones got so much better and you no longer sang just with your voice to an auditorium. You were amplified because you couldn't croon back in the days pre-amplification. You had to belt, you had to belt so people could hear you in the back row. So it invented a new kind of singing. I'll be darn really. Yeah, I mean, that's just one of the points they made. One of the uh, less interesting now that I tell the story, but um, it's... Uh, <laughs> He and his his writing style is very very accessible. From anyway. the from the text line, you two truly suck. Really sad you're allowed on a public format. I will not buy from anyone you advertise. Okay, ever. All right. Thank you for texting four one five two nine five KFTC. I would respond with something snide and or semi obscene or something, but I just don't care. I mean, somebody like you is so troubled that and mm, look, you're responding. Well, no, I'm, I'm. You should take my pulse right now. Take it. Go ahead. The wrist is too imprecise. Use the inner thigh. Fourteen. Oh my God! <laughs> Rub my adductors, says Al Gore. <laughs> no, you can't even raise my pulse. A person like that, I just feel bad for you. Um, here's a shock for you. Knock me down with a feather, as uh, my mom used to say. She may still. I don't know. I'll ask her. Uh, top executives at Facebook and Twitter donated tens of thousands of dollars to President-elect Joe Biden's campaign, according to the FEC the Federal Elections Cam- uh, Commission, and zero to Donald J. Trump. Uh, many, many, many tech executives maxed out. Um, although, honestly, uh, giving directly to a candidate, the maxes are, are quite low. For instance, here's the uh, chief revenue officer at Facebook, David Fisher. How much money does he make? He donated the max 2800 to Biden during the primary. But it's it's all about the PACs. Uh, political action committees, but yeah. So all the higher-ups at Facebook and Twitter, <clears throat> uh, et cetera, gave generously and almost entire, well, entirely to Democrats in terms of the top executives. Again, knock me down with a feather. Speaking of uh, awokeness, and uh, once again, uh, Northern Cal Unicornia. Got a note from Aileen Anonymous. <clears throat> Excuse me. She and her husband are longtime listeners, and we appreciate that very much. Uh, evidently, your view of us contrasts with the recent text. You two truly suck. Right. <laughs> Thanks for leaving me out of it, Texter. Uh, yeah, text about Sean. 4152. <laughs> no, I'm um, and and uh, Aileen and Al, anonymous, alerted to what is happening in Livermore, California. Uh, they're, they copied the minutes from the City Council Equity and Inclusion Subcommittee meeting. Oh, my gosh. Yes. That's yes. a good name right there. Yeah. Hold on to your wallet when you hear the name of that committee. One of the highlights is uh, it includes um, uh, a Google Doc documenting personal homes and properties that fly a blue line flag so the owners can be educated. Oh, boy. Oh don't don't boy ever come to my home and knock on the right. door with the idea of you're going to educate me about something. Yeah, so that comes from, I believe, uh, Section 2, the uh, project description, blah, 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 inventory, identify symbols, artwork, objects, artifacts, etc. in Livermore that represent and signify systemic racism, as well as symbols, etc. that signify equity and inclusion. Then there's the assessment and action. Identify and implement actions the city and subgroup can and should take to address the symbols. Acknowledge and reduce systemic racism and promote equity and inclusion. And then they uh, go on, continuing sco- continue scoping the project. Extend the scope of the property symbols to be inventoried to the entire city, not just those are city-owned. 
example, uh, examples of private property, Confederate flag, thin blue line flag. Yeah, I like the way you equate those. Yeah, yeah, sure. For well, they're both. Say, they're uh, both problematic. I never saw the Confederate flag as that big a deal, and I think plenty of people flew it with no uh, maliciousness whatsoever. But at this point, if you're if you're flying Confederate flag, you're probably tr- probably trying to send a message of some sort. But it, to to equate that with the I support the police, come on now. You know, it might just be the people, Jack, who you're talking about, who fly the the Confederate flag as a sign of Southern pride because the South has a different culture than say the Northeast, and they like it better. Um, and people are now taking it away, so now they're flying it out of defiance. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Good day. And there are some racists too. I don't know. Uh, anyway, where were we? I, uh, ah, reach out and partner with organizations, businesses, agencies, etc., that have the authority to educate and influence, um, to, to let people know what you're flying there is problematic. And then they go into various... Who asked you would be my response. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, these, uh, pay, these, uh, uh, minutes of the meeting go on for quite some time. Now, Wow. This was, They're not actually going to go door-to-door and knock on people's doors and try to argue them out of their flags, are they? Yes, they are. Wow. Although they're denying it. They put When's out, the American flag hit the list? Uh, it Just will. the Stars and Stripes. Oh, of course it, it will. It certainly will. So there was quite the uproar in uh, the city of Livermore and elsewhere in the Bay Area over this stuff. It got out, and, uh, and the... The Livermore uh, Committee on... I just always, every time you say that, I remember, and this is years ago when we took phone calls, and we had a call from Livermore, and you said, David Livermore! <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, that stuck in my head. That's funny. I was thinking, <laughs> I like my kidney, but I like my Livermore. <laughs> but so the, uh, the Committee of Equity, Inclusion, Reeducation, and uh, Social Justice Warriorisms have put out a press release, Jack, Saying, uh, to paraphrase the old saw, misunderstanding can go halfway around Livermore before the facts put, facts put on their shoes. Long story short, the uh, this uh, subcommittee of reeducation uh, put out our minutes. They were thinking out loud. It was a rough draft, warts and all, so the whole community could see the process. Which, honestly, sure, I like. It's transparency in government. Yeah. So I tip my cap to you. Unfortunately, such transparency has led to the misunderstanding that occurred a few days ago. Unlike the very misleading and inflammatory story currently circulating, the culture subgroup, why does your city council have a culture subgroup, is simply trying to understand the look and feel of Livermore and gather information and the rest of it. And uh, Everyone has the right to express themselves freely. No one's suggesting otherwise. And then, you get the bridge paragraph to the future reality. Uh, ultimately, symbols, uh, well, good communication means being understood and requires more than self-expression. So the first step is to gather data. The second is to understand meaning. Uh, understanding begins with acknowledging that feelings are feelings. Dictating feeling, telling someone not to feel pride or shame, sadness or joy, never goes over well. Dictating meaning has similar bad results. So far, so good, because you're right. Rather, listening to what others say about what particular symbols mean to them is how we build understanding and connection among different groups. Okay, so now you're edging closer to 
if you're flying the blue line flag, we're going to have Black Lives Matter come by your restaurant and tell you how it makes them feel. Oh, and the boy. city's going to sponsor for that. But here's where the slope gets slippery. Unfortunately, symbols can have very different meanings to different groups, can be misunderstood by others, and can trigger anger and division. For example, some people see the Black Lives Matter sign as a way of reminding others that some groups have been systemically oppressed throughout American history, blah, 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 and into the present. Similarly, some people see the thin blue line flag as a way of supporting the people who put their lives on the line to provide public safety. That's fairly put and well put, and we appreciate that. To come together, we need to hear and acknowledge other people's feelings. We need to understand other people's stories. That does not mean we need to agree with them or even like them, but we need to hear them without believing the worst of others. That was written by uh, a couple of people on the committee. Nice, well-meaning American people. And I bet you all are nice and well-meaning. Here's what you don't get. Your more militant colleagues who will soon shove you aside, you will be put in the paper shredder of local politics. The whole, well, if they mean it well, you can't really be mad at them. No, no, no. Not in critical race theory. Not in the world of social justice warriors. How it's received is the only thing that's mad, that matters. Read Ibram X. Kendi. Read, uh, uh, Robin, what's her face? I can never remember her name. It's kind of a blessing. D'Angelo. Yeah, the, the white fragility thing. If you say, God bless this country, anyone can be a success, and that's taken as racism and white supremacy, then it is racist, and it is white supremacy. How you meant it doesn't matter. So you nice suburban uh, people on this committee, you think you are riding the tiger. Well, you are riding a tiger, and as soon as you fall off, it's going to eat you. And then you're going to have enforcement committees going to that poor restaurateur we, uh, you know, imagined, and uh, and telling him you take that flag down, or you're not going to have a license next week. Guaranteed. You don't fight this stuff; it's going to overwhelm you. Another look at the coming commercial real estate crash, which is inevitable. Sure. Uh, touching your face with the, your dirty hands, but quick uh, quick text we got. Jack, will you please tell me the title of the two recent Netflix shows your family enjoyed? Uh, I'm, the artsy one. The one I mentioned that was artsy. Best kids show I've seen ever. A uh, series of unfortunate events. If you haven't watched that, oh my God, that's good. It is top-level television entertainment for children. I think I asked this last time. Is this the one with Jim Carrey in it? No. Okay, no, that's the movie. New, this is the they made a edition. series with Neil Patrick Harris playing the Jim Carrey part. Oh, right, right, and right, right. a whole bunch of giant stars, but yeah. it is so good. And there's so many episodes, so it's a good thing during the Christmas Neil break. Neil Patrick Harris is too talented. Love NPH. Um on the other thing, my wife is watching um why can't I remember the guy's name? Can Hannibal Lecter. Hannibal is the name of the show. Mm. It's a young Hannibal Lecter. Yes. Also, uh, Sean mentioned that. Sat- he said it's it's bloody as can be, right? Yeah, it's incredibly gory. Yeah, okay. that one not for the kids. No. Yeah. Oh boy. Dexter thinks Hannibal is too much. Friday was the first Mandalorian episode that didn't have for one second Baby Yoda in it. Now I asked the question because when Ch- when friends would not have Chandler for an episode because because he has rehab for heroin. Right. Is that what's going on with and Baby opioids, Yoda? Yeah. I heard Baby Yoda asked for too much money. And they're holding out. Got to be a reason he wasn't on the episode at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sex rehab thing. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Um, that little green beast. Well, he's Baby Yoda, but he is he's at least 50 years old, right? right? He's only a baby in terms of, you know, his 
Yoda-like species. Right, and he has needs. And we got another text. Stop with the Mandalorian spoilers. I did mention something on the air the other day I shouldn't have said, so I'll try to stay away from that. Try to keep up. Um, <laughs> uh, Yeah, the coming commercial real estate crash, which is mostly going to hit local banks across the country, according to the Wall Street Journal, because they're so heavily weighted in your local commercial real estate that is now worth nothing. That, among other things, on the way. Armstrong and Getty. It's the most wonderful time of the year With the kids jingle belling and everyone telling you be of good cheer How do you fight the balance between working for an administration but also having your independence and then you do you try to do that in an environment um, which is almost impossible and, and I you know look that is a hard job in the best of circumstances. But the last four years, this intersection of the the justice system and politics, I don't know how anyone can navigate it. And frankly, I think they're going to have a tough time finding people that want to be the AG unless the environment changes. Hmm. We'll see how that, uh, that's Trey Gowdy commenting on uh, Attorney General Barr resigned yesterday uh, with just a couple of weeks to go in his job anyway. But Refreshingly, both he and the president made uh, happy noises, nice noises at each other, and he's uh, quitting just before Christmas. So this is no shock to anybody that there is a commercial real estate crash coming. Nobody knows what that's going to look like. We're already going a weird direction with commercial real estate. Before the pandemic, I used to talk all the time about going to, you know, going to my local strip mall and half the place has got a for lease sign. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the yogurt shop and martial arts studio and variety of things that had been in there had gone away. And your local mall, for goodness sakes. Yeah. Now a it's lot, just most local mall. off the charts. But, uh, small community banks across the country. That's where all your, uh, that's where you're going to get really hit. A lot of your smaller towns, they're leveraged heavily on the commercial real estate in their town. 5,000 or so U.S. community banks with about a third of their total assets, two to three times as concentrated in commercial real estate as your bigger banks are. Oh boy. So it's not just a, a real estate problem. It's a bank problem. Absolutely. Wow. And obviously it points out here that a lot of your commercial real estate, just like if you buy a house, you know, you've borrowed about 80% of it. You put 20% down. So a drop of 25% and you're underwater. Mm. And it's not pretty, not hard to imagine a drop of 25% in a lot of this commercial real estate because oh, there's so no. much of it available. If I, if I need to buy a space in a strip mall to start my yogurt shop, it's going to be a combo yogurt shop, martial arts studio where you can get your toes did. <laughs> uh, all three happening at one time. But, I mean, I could shop around and say, I'll give you a, a $5 a square foot. No? Okay, I'll go over here and ask this guy. A taste of hands and feet. <laughs> wow. wow. I'm just, I'm, I'm, nice. I'm just workshopping some ideas here. That's not bad. Right. Uh, so you have the Internet commerce <laughs> pressure on retail, which you're talking about mostly, but then you've got the office space yeah. and the whole remote oh, uh, work revolution. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not just one whammy. Now on to this. I'm not going to touch my face with my dirty hands. I'm not going to touch my face with my dirty hands. Remember, this is a big story early on in the pandemic. And then not since. When we thought that touching our face was a big deal. For some reason, on the front page of the Wall Street Journal today, a hands-off approach to your face, turning to perfume, wrist buzzers, and hypnosis to keep from touching your face. Wrist buzzers? Yeah, some sort of really? like some sort of like thing you wear around your wrist that if you lift it up to a certain height, it goes, ah! 
It's a compliance belt for the uh, for those who aren't really committed to fixing their behaviors. Has anybody actually done this? Or putting scents on your hand that are strong enough that when you raise your hand up, you go, oh, right, that smell. I'm not supposed to touch my face. Aggressive scent. Obnoxious. Seems to cause more problems than it fixes. Thank you. (laughs) The average person touches their face 23 times per hour. Um, Well, and uh, we were one of the few shows to report there was a study done at one of your prestigious universities where people were told not to touch their faces. And then they were observed for an hour, and they touched it exactly the same number as uh, before they were told. We're clearly just... designed to do that. It's probably on purpose. It's probably oh, 100%. A, probably a way to spread stuff into our eyes and our nose so we can catch it so we can survive. Well, I, I would that might be the anthropological uh, need. I, I think it's that we are so vulnerable in our faces. Uh, so many openings slash disease places, uh, so many parts that we desperately need to Take stay away from my face. Don't look at me. I'm a monster. No, but there are so many ways that we can be terribly injured or hurt sure. by disease with our face. We protect it. We instec- yeah. instinctively protect it. See the latest episode of Hannibal. You'll get a good I, example. I don't want to. Oh, I was I'm not going to. You can't make me. Um, uh, duh, but anyway. The other one is hypnosis, and you constantly chant to yourself over and over again, I will not touch my face with my dirty hands. I will not touch my face with my dirty hands. You kind of get a rhythm going, and it gets stuck in your head, and then maybe you'll hypnotize. And five minutes later, you're touching your face. That's not what hypnosis is. (laughs) That's just chanting. No more chanting. No more chanting. Armstrong and Getty.